Welcome to ABC, Abergavenny Baptist Church, building faith and friendship. We've just sung, knowing you, Jesus, knowing you, there is no greater thing. And earlier, Jesus, at your name, we bow the knee, we know who you are. And over the last few weeks, Mike has been doing his question and answer series, hasn't he? So that we can learn and be reminded of the basics of our faith. And last Sunday, we celebrated Pentecost, the coming of the Holy Spirit. Not just for one or two special people, for special tasks, as we see in the Old Testament, but as an amazing outpouring an incredible and powerful gift to all who believe in Jesus. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12 tells us that part of the work of the Holy Spirit is to make us aware, to open our eyes to the wonderful things that God has given us. It says, we have received God's Spirit, not the world's Spirit, but God's Spirit, so that we can know the wonderful things that God has freely given us, so that we can know, so that we can know about God and about who he is, so that we can read his word and learn new things all the time about who he is and how that knowing, that understanding, that sudden flash of, wow, I get it now, should be changing us and renewing our attitudes and our actions. It's not a one-off, it's a continual process. It doesn't happen all at once, because we can read that same passage of Scripture year after year, but the Holy Spirit will illuminate different things at different stages of our Christian lives, so that gradually we grow and learn And so thinking about knowing God, my mind went back to this very familiar account, this passage in John's Gospel about the healing of this man born blind. This is one of my favorite stories. Um, This man who had been blind from birth and who was probably sitting at at the side of the road most of the time begging. We don't read that he was crying out for help. He clearly didn't know who Jesus was. But Jesus noticed him, and he knew him. Now, the disciples assumed, as was common in their time, that either he or his parents must have sinned for him to have been in that state, for him to have been born blind. But Jesus refuted that idea. He used the man's blindness as an opportunity to demonstrate God's power. He spat on the ground. Interesting uh, bit of medical work there. He spat on the ground and made some mud and put it on the man's eyes. And then he sent him off to the pool of Siloam and put it on the man's eyes. Sorry, and then he sent him off to the pool of Siloam and he washed. He did as he was told and he washed. Realized he could see and instead of returning back to his old begging place, went straight off home to show his family and neighbors and tell them what had happened. You can imagine that scene. Look what's happened to me. Look what what happened to me while I was sitting by the side of the road. He hadn't seen Jesus at all. He'd only heard his voice and felt his hands on his eyes. And then the Pharisees get involved 
And because the healing had been done on a Sabbath, instead of rejoicing at the amazing outcome, they started their religious nitpicking and arguing. They questioned the man who declared that Jesus must be a prophet. He didn't know who he was. So not satisfied, they called for his parents. I love this story because there's all these little, little human bits in it, aren't there? They called for his parents, questioning whether he had really been blind at birth. No, is this just, was he just a little bit short-sighted or something? No, he really was. But the parents were rather afraid, knowing if they gave a wrong answer, they risked being thrown out of the synagogue. So they were a bit cagey. We know he is our son, they answered, and we know he was born blind. But we've got no idea how he got back his sight or who helped him. You better ask him yourself. He's old enough to speak for himself. And you can imagine that conversation going on. So the Pharisees went back to the man. Give glory to God by telling the truth. We know this man is a sinner, they said. And his reply, whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I do know, I was blind and now I see. What a brilliant statement that is. I don't know about all that. I haven't got a clue about all that stuff. Here's what I know, what I am sure of. I was blind, but now I see. His encounter with Jesus had made all the difference to him. His life was changed forever. His view of the world had been completely opened up. A new life was in front of him. He wasn't interested in the Pharisees' nitpicking and religiosity. This was the greatest thing that had ever happened to him. He could see. Now, there's so much in this account that we could home in on, so many different lessons we could learn from it. But today, I want to just focus on the knowing part. What can we say with utter assurance that we know? Last Sunday at Pentecost, we remembered and celebrated the pouring out of the Holy Spirit on the disciples. And I love what Peter announced to the crowds in Jerusalem. In verse 32 of Acts 2, that's what that wonderful account of Pentecost. Peter had been speaking for a while and, and the crowds thought they were drunk because they were all speaking in tongues. And Peter had taken the opportunity to tell them about Jesus. And here's what he declares in verse 32. God raised Jesus from the dead and we are all witnesses of this. He knew that was true because he'd seen it with his own eyes. Now he is exalted to the place of highest honor in heaven at God's right hand. He knew that was true. He'd been there when Jesus ascended up into heaven. And the Father, as he, Jesus, had promised, gave him the Holy Spirit to pour out on us today. Well, everybody there could see that was true. Something clearly had happened to these men who had been with Jesus. Let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, to be Lord and Messiah. Peter knew what he knew, and he declared it with passion. So our challenge today is to think 
about what we know of Jesus. Because in order to have a relationship, we need to know the other person. So how well do we know Jesus? What do we know of God's promises? What can we say for sure and with passion? And one of the Holy Spirit's many tasks is to give us assurance as we read the scriptures. And next week, this series of Bible reading sessions, reading the scriptures in a new way and having the opportunity to discuss them and ask questions is going to start. And those who have signed up to do this scheme, along with people all over the country next, uh, over the next few weeks, will be reading through this book, which is, is the Bible, but just put in a, a slightly modern way, and talking about it. And it's a great opportunity. It's a great opportunity to learn more. I think it's exciting, you see, because we're given the Holy Spirit to be active when we read God's word and to be, if you like, a holy highlighter. I love highlighters, and I, had to, I actually had to replace my Bible, as I think I told you, because it was so highlighted all the way through that I felt I needed to start afresh and see what new things God was going to tell me. And so I've started now on a new Bible, highlighting in there. My mother would be horrified because she would think that to highlight in a Bible was dreadful. But it's wonderful because it jumps out at you, those precious verses that the Holy Spirit has highlighted. Because when we ask the Holy Spirit to help us before we start to read scripture, verses jump out at us. They won't be the same verses for everyone. It depends where we are on our Christian journey. So each of us needs to be looking out for the verses that speak especially to us. I read my Bible expecting to find treasure, expecting the Holy Spirit to show me something new. So it's useful to have a highlighter available and to just highlight it in your Bible or your little book so it jumps out at you when you open the page. It's good to have a pack of post-its ready. I love post-its. When a verse comes up, jot it down and put it somewhere visible in your house, on the fridge. Mine go, mine go along my windowsill, above my desk. And then I keep reading them until I feel I really know them and I've absorbed them. I've got about 11 up there at the moment, I counted. And when I really think I've got them, I put them in this folder and... It's full of all kinds of things. Look, you can see all my little post-its that I've put in. And I was, really, I was smiling to myself as I read through this this morning, because every now and again I go back to it. And there are such wonderful words from God that have come to me over the years. And I smile because for a long time I've had a bad back, about 18 months. And when I was really in pain and depressed about it, I had a word, and it wasn't actually in the Bible, it was in my Bible reading notes, and it said this, while we may not get instant relief from our problems, God still has our backs. <laughs> that was up in front of me on the desk, 
And every time I prayed about my back, I said, thank you, Lord, that you're on the case and you still have my back. And my back is so much better now. Thank you, Lord. So these verses help us in our everyday life. Um, you know, we claim them as ours and use them. Just reading through the Psalms is a blessing. I do readings from Falder Brennan, and each day you have a psalm for the morning reading. And although I go through them over and over again, because it goes through a cycle, each time different verses jump out at me. And there are wonderful verses just in the Psalms, verses that say, God is my shield, God is my helper, God is my strength, my shelter. My strong tower, my comforter, my champion, the one who fights my battles, the one who goes before me, the one who prepares the way. And I know all these verses to be true, and I use them, and lots more that I've collected in my prayer times, when I declare scripture, and for praising God. There was a friend of mine who was at a house group this week and she was telling us that they'd been studying the scriptures and it was a section about all the things they were in Christ. And at the end they had one of these scales from naught to ten where they had to rate themselves on where they thought they were on these things that were in Christ. And my friend was incensed because they were all being very British and polite and modest and self-effacing and saying, oh, I'm only a four on that one. Oh, I'm only about a two on that one. And risking appearing arrogant, she said, well, I'm going to say that I'm at least a nine because if God says this is who I am, who am I to argue with God? If God says this is what I am, who am I? to argue with what God says about me. And as she told us about this, she said, actually, I'm going to send round an email to all of them and saying, if we really believe what we're reading is true, we're all tens, because that's what it says, and I'm going to be a ten. And I thought, yes, this is, this is how God wants us to live. He wants us to take his word and appropriate it and live it. When I first became a Christian, when I was about 30, I was asked to speak at a prayer and praise meeting. And I was horrified, terrified, because I didn't know what to say. And I struggled all week to find something clever and intellectual to say. And then calamity struck, and my son became very ill with chickenpox. And he was so poorly that he was delirious. And I sent for the doctor, and the doctor actually came to the house and he said, well, he's very, very poorly, but there's nothing I can give him that will make him better. You, you'll just have to go through the next couple of days, and, and he should come through it. And Calpol was, you know, the answer. And I felt utterly helpless. And then I thought, well, I'm reading all these stories in the Bible about healing. I should be praying. And so very self-conscious, feeling very silly. I just prayed for my son as he was there on the sofa. And I did a little prayer and I left him. Well, a couple of hours later, my other son came home from school and was having his drink and biscuit. And I heard a voice calling from the other room, Mum, can I have a biscuit? 
And there was this little boy who a couple of hours had been really very, very poorly indeed, sitting up, temperature gone, looking completely different, off the sofa, playing with his toys and asking for his tea. The spots were still there, but the change in him was astonishing. And I stopped worrying then about what I had to say at the meeting because I was able to tell them about what God had done. God had given me a testimony. I knew then, very early, what the power of prayer was, and I was able to tell everyone. And I've prayed for many people over the years, and some of them, we've had a good outcome, and others, the answer hasn't been as I wanted it to be. But as I said earlier, this I do know now. God hears my prayers, and he pays attention to them. And so when I pray, I can pray that now and leave it with him. When we identify what we know about Jesus, we need to act on it. My friend Reese, who sings in a choir and helps his wife Heather, who's a local preacher, by doing readings, and he often does the children's talk as well, has been diagnosed with cancer of the esophagus. Now, Reese is the life and soul of the party. He's a real man's man. He's someone who brings a smile straight away to your face with his jokes and his banter. But this cancer is affecting his speech and his, and his eating. But when he was with the cancer nurse, getting all the information and setting up his treatment, he declared to her, well, my God has looked after me for the last 70 years, and I know he can trust me to see through this as well. And all through his treatment... He is someone who will be witnessing to the doctors and the nurses and the people who come to visit him because however bad he's feeling, he'll be witnessing to what God's done. He knows his Lord and he lives his life according to what he knows. So further to the challenge of knowing what we know about God, I want to challenge us this morning to live according to that challenge, according to that knowledge, to live according to what we know of our God. So as we're doing our Bible readings now over these next six or however many weeks, as each new verse pops out at us, highlighted by the Holy Spirit, let's take it and make it our own and live it. And as we go through our Christian lives, We'll build up a bank of things we know, things that are true about God, promises that he has given us personally, and we can make those things part of our everyday living. I wonder what verses are in your banks, because I know I'm preaching to the converted here. There are so many of you here who do this all the time anyway. What verses do you stand on? What verses are in your banks? And if you haven't started collecting, perhaps now as we start this new Bible reading venture, it's a good time to start. We can think of it as a treasure hunt. Treat yourself to a nice notebook or a folder. Get yourself some post-its and a highlighter and start collecting those Rima words, those Holy Spirit words, Holy Spirit highlighted words. Words. I like to think of him as a holy highlighter. Words that we can know and stand on and which will give us strength 
in the situations that we'll have to face in the future. We'll never know or understand everything about our God because we're all works in progress. But whatever the situation, we can all stand on the this I know that we know ourselves and live it out in our daily lives. Now, our final hymn, I'm afraid, and I do apologize to the worship team, I've given them two hymns that they didn't know they were playing this morning. But we know the tune of this one. It's a Londonderry air. And the chorus of this hymn, I cannot tell, says, this I know. I don't know anything about that, but this I know. So we're going to sing that to close now. I cannot tell why he whom angels worship.